So Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favour on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, oh, sorry, of the wicked. <coughs> For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the, the, um, let's start at the start. So um, for anyone that's had a personal uh, connection with God, um, the experience um, as we understand God and who he is um, and whether that be just reading his word and understanding who he is or whether that be having, like Moses, he had um, conversations directly, um, whether that be the witness in our heart by the Holy Spirit. Like we, um, when we have those connection times with God, doesn't it, like who else can testify, doesn't it really draw you to want more? You know, and that's what the psalmist is saying. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. And for some of us that, um, you know, had, uh, I guess, girlfriends or get married, um, you know, you can relate to that experience of getting to know someone, you know, and you're just yearning, longing to be with them, to talk to them, to learn more about them. And um, it's a beautiful picture um, of a husband and wife, um, is a beautiful picture of um, Christ in the church. And um, yeah, um, I remember when I was dating, you know, and I got to that point where I was just like, I really just wanted to be with Jen, you know, and just looking forward to the next time. And I actually had an Excel spreadsheet and <laughs> I, I, I recorded I recorded all the days I got to spend with Jen and I had the running statistic of like, you know, how many days it was. And it was a very high statistic at this time. 
and Jen called it the golden summer. Yeah, so it was very fun. Um, yeah, but the, the, um, one of the reasons I chose this psalm um, is I really, um, I love this bit about um, the pilgrimage. The pilgrimage. So I'll just go over it again. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And so the valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. And so there are times, like even Jesus, he groaned, how long will I be with you? You know, a generation, like, you know, that was, you know, even in um, Hobart here, you know, there are things that make us be like, oh, you know, aren't we looking forward to heaven? You know, where it will be all righteous, where it will be good, where it will be beautiful. You know, and we encounter these um, also challenges, also personal struggles, and they're like the valley of weeping. You know, they're going through desert places, going through desert places in our own soul even. But, um, you know, it's a place we pass through. As a pilgrim, we pass through those places. And um, also, God also steps in when we're in those places. So it says, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. So there's things that we can do in that place and there's things that God will do in that place. Um, so we're to dig the wells and God will send the blessing. And in this way, we go from strength to strength as we dig those wells deeper. Jesus said, um, out of, like when we believe in him, out of him will come rivers of living water. And we need to tap into those inner rivers. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And so we need to dig our wells deep. And... Um, I'd like to look at how um, Paul, in his pilgrimage, that part of this text was outworked. And Paul and Silas, they um, were un unjustly accused at one point, and they were beaten with stripes and thrown in prison for a night. And so that... You, can, you could say that that personal circumstance is like going through a, a valley of bucca, a valley of weeping, a time of trial, a time of struggle. But it says here, um, it says, when Paul was in prison, um, he and Silas, they prayed and they sang. And the other prisoners were listening to them in that jail. And so they made it a spring. That's how they did it. They made it a spring. They rejoiced. Paul says, rejoice in, in every circumstance. We've got to rejoice. And so what did God do? Well, that night there was an earthquake at midnight. And every, the foundations of the prison were rocked to the core. Every door sprung open. Every chain got broken off. 
And, um, and it was miraculous. Like, how does an earthquake make every chain break off? But it did. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, all of the prisoners had the opportunity to run away, but they didn't. And the jailer was convinced that these men were the men of truth. And he asked, what must I do to be saved? And he and all his household believed, were baptised, and then they all went to the jailer's house and had a meal and rejoiced. And see, that's what God does. When we make it a place of springs, he blesses it and makes it a place of pools. So the pools, instead of the desert now, in the Valley of Barca, everywhere's got pools of water on it. It's been rained on. It's been blessed. And so many times in Paul's pilgrimage, the places he went to, another time he got shipwrecked, but when he was on that island, God granted it to him that he performed miracles of healing, and so all the people on that island were blessed. So sometimes those hard things that we go to, you know, struggles, God actually, when we're abiding in him, God turns around and blesses them. And I've got one more example from um, a recent example. There was a missionary in um, Papua New Guinea and um, that became Indonesia. Um, anyway, he went to this village. He wanted to go to this village because to, he wanted to preach the gospel. And on the way, um, he had some native guides and stuff. And on the way, he encountered a hornet's nest. <laughs> And he got stung all over. And the natives, they, did, they, they didn't get stung. They, they, they took off and he got absolutely walloped. And he had to, I think he had to be, from memory, he had to be carried to this place. And when he got there, he couldn't, he couldn't even share the gospel because he was laid up. And all the people of the village were like, this guy must have something really, really important to say. For him to have gone through all this suffering to be here we better listen and you know and so then that that became his joy then because then when he shared they were all receptive you know and isn't that wonderful mm. so i encourage everyone of you today um that we have in this psalm it it talks about a hope and it talks about the Lord is a sun and a shield. Um, the Lord bestows favour and honour. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. And so we can be confident, whatever circumstance we're in, whether it's a valley of Baca, that we can look to God and hope for the future. You know, that we can look to God and know that he's got good things planned. And God works all things together for good to them that love him and to a called according to his purposes. And um, I know in my life, um, going through having a major back, um, a back issue um, where I split a disc open and it leaked out, uh, you know, the way that I had to respond to cope was to really get pastors 
to really get pastors to come over to my house. I was living by myself up north, and um, and they had to come. And the beautiful thing about this psalm again is another beautiful thing. It says, um, "Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are set, hearts are set on pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca." They make it a place of springs. And it's just a, such a beautiful thing when you have the fellowship of the saints with you, when you pass through those times and you know, godly Christian people come along, whether it's parents or friends or pastors, um, people close at hand, and they can come and put their arm around you and you know, encourage you and strengthen you. And um, we're not alone. When we go on this pilgrimage, we're not alone. And we go together. And we go as a body. And um, I'd just like to finish um, with something Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And he said, For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side, Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. And so we can be confident that God does comfort the brokenhearted, and he will be there for you if you go in that place and we pass through. Yeah. And we have a great hope, don't we? Like whatever stage of the journey, whether we're a little kid or whether we're 97, um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to heaven. We're looking forward to that place. Um, yeah, and it's a wonderful place. And every tear will be wiped away. Yeah, so, you know, there's some of the things that I really like about this psalm and also just the example of how it was lived out and how actually God fulfilled his part um, in Paul's life. So, yeah, thank you. Good morning. And my psalm is Psalm 57. Psalm 57, a psalm of David when he was in a tough place. Because it's one of the two psalms that were written when he was in a cave. In a cave, isolated, alone, friendless, perhaps depressed, perhaps disappointed, but nevertheless hiding from uh, his enemies in the cave. And this is one of the two psalms he wrote then. The other one was Psalm 142. Yes, we've got the words up. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to leave you to peruse it as I talk. But David, in his cave, experienced diversity. And if you're honest with yourself, you will have experienced a situation like this or will experience a situation like this and you will have a cave-type episode in your life. And if that is the case, why don't you then follow David's example? And that's the point that I wish to make this morning. We will be subjected to personal disappointments, 
maybe to health issues or financial loss or business issues or family or even church issues will be our cave episode. Louise and I are both weight for 86 and we've had a, a few experiences in our life from ups and downs but we're pleased to say that the Lord has been gracious to us just as David experienced. I want to quote from Warren Wisby. He, was a, he is a um, respected Bible commentator. And he says this. There are three principles in this psalm. Trust him, let's trust God. Exalt him, that's God. Sing praises to him. And if you take nothing else from what I've said this morning, will say this morning, they are those three things. Trust God because we, he is the one worthy of our trust. He certainly is the one who should be exalted because he's worthy of that. And of course, we can all sing, we've done it already, and we'll probably do it again. So the psalm is very meaningful and we learn lessons from it. How do we handle these such times that uh, we may have or may experience in our life. Let's look at some pointers from David. As I've said, he accepted God as worthy of his worship and he's very much uh, upfront with that. The only true supreme God. In his very deepest uh, problems of his life, he refers to them in very graphic language there. They're, they're like um, being in a den of lions or uh, refers to spears really very serious situations that he was in but he accepted that God was worthy of his worship as the only true supreme God. The God of creation is to be exalted and his presence relied on in all situations and we can attest to that surely. He also mentioned love in verse 3 and verse uh, uh, we're reminded that love is a great theme of the scriptures of course and in the New Testament we know very well the verse for God so loved the world that he got, we're recipients of that God's love. Not only David living in a cave at this situation, but we're recipients of God's love as well. And then it's progressive. We are to love others. We're to love our families. We're to love our friends. We're even to love our neighbours. Love is ongoing. It's progressive because God showed his love to us. And he mentions in verse 3 also faithfulness. And he David remembers and reminds us that he, uh, God is faithful. And if you reflect upon people who have been uh, uh, people you, you trust and look up to in your life, you'll find that they have been faithful to God also. And they are worthy of our, our following and understanding. But then it says he starts to sing. Where is it? Verse. Um, well, you can, can you see it there? Tell me what verse it is. Verse 7, thank you. He sings praises. And of course he's noted for that. David, many of the psalms are written as uh, songs, as psalms to sing, and he sings praises. And I've been blessed throughout my life to have a, a, a delight in singing. I've always enjoyed singing. And even now, I often wake up in the morning and have a song running through my mind. And that's really rather special. I feel very blessed for that. And I've enjoyed singing in lots of, lots of areas. But here this one is in verse um, 5. I was also during my life exposed to a book called Scriptures in Song. And that, that magnificent. They still stick in your mind. 
Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. That's the verse here. So we often sing that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. That verse is sing a stick very heavily in my mind. They're valuable, the, the words that we sing. A lady friend over there of mine, uh, Louise and mine, who we got to know over recent years, has virtually songs of, Christian songs have been influential in turning her life around. And you ask her, she'll tell you. The scriptures in song are just so meaningful. She'll sometimes ring me, Barry, this is a new song I found. It's so lovely. The words are lovely. It's got beautiful words. They're meaningful. It may be a song I've never heard, but it may be a song that I learned as a teenager. So songs are really very, very powerful, and we delight in singing them. The value of Christian songs is, is extremely important. And we're going to sing, I think, shortly a song that the key phrase is, Through it all. Through it all, and there are other connotations to that. But through it all, David, in his cave-type episode, recognised that God is with him, that God was going to bring him through the situation he was in, and he would praise God as a result. So, do you get the message? Trust God, because he's worthy of it. Exalt him, because he's worthy of it. And sing praises to him. That's all, folks. The last psalm, or the last song that Barry chose, was how uh, we'll have nothing contrived here, how nicely things fit together. Um, the psalm I've chosen today is Psalm 118, which stood out to me last year when uh, reading the, the day-by-day chronological Bible that some of us took as a, a Bible study last year. Now, in it was a, a commentary uh, that referenced at the, the time... We were reading about Judas, uh, Judas' betrayal of Jesus at the Last Supper, and higher. <laughs> okay. So I was reading uh, this re- cross-reference this psalm at the um, time of Judas' betrayal of Jesus. Uh, Jesus was celebrating Passover with the disciples, and. Uh, it was the, the last supper he, he had with his disciples in the night before his crucifixion. So Psalm 118 is part of a set of six psalms known as the Hallel. Uh, these psalms start at Psalm 113 and end at Psalm 118. They are traditionally sung by the Jewish people on joyous occasions, such as Passover, which celebrates uh, the deliverance of the Jewish people uh, from out of slavery, coming out of Egypt. Shaval, uh, which is the Feast of Weeks, which marks the, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And Sukkot, which commemorates God's sheltering the Israelites as they travelled out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. So, Hillel is a, a Hebrew word uh, that has a meaning uh, of praise, uh, which for the word uh, hallelujah is derived from, or hallel yehwah, or as we would say, praise the Lord. It's also considered that likely that Jesus himself uh, 
sung this psalm as part of the Passover celebrations with his disciples at the Last Supper. So when I cross-referenced this psalm as part of this chronological study, I found it to be one of those occasions that sort of make you think more deeply uh, about how God has always desired us to be in a right relationship with him. And through Jesus, uh, God has had a plan in place to redeem us, uh, to be in a right relationship with him, uh, redeem us from our sins that we've committed against him. It also caused me to consider what thoughts the disciples had at the Last Supper and indeed the thoughts that Jesus himself uh, may have had. So for me personally, when you, you discover new ways uh, of in the word, in which way they, they link up in the books of the Bible, as, as individual books of the Bible, they all link up and come complete as a whole. Uh, I think to myself, like, wow, God's word in the Bible is so dynamic and awesome, uh, it could have only come from God. So there's also... As Peter mentioned, a bit of trivia. There's a bit of trivia associated with Psalm 118, although it's not been attributed to having any significance, meaning as such in the, in the trivia. But Psalm 118 sits neatly between 117, which is the, the shortest psalm in the Bible, and straight after that, 119 is the longest psalm. Uh, verse 8 of Psalm 118, some people consider that to be the middle verse of the Bible and Psalm 118 verse 8 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. So let's dive into Psalm 118 a little more deeply. Uh, I've got the, the words up there so we can contemplate then as we work through it. So as mentioned before Psalm 118 is the culmination of, of the Egyptian Hillel, uh, the songs of thanksgiving that tells of God's act of salvation from Israel as a nation and tells of giving praise to Yahweh, God, or Jesus, for his unending, constant, uh, continuous love that he's shown for his people. So the scriptures tell us that the apostles uh, sang the Egyptian Hillel uh, with him for the last time before his death. And both Matthew chapter 26 verse 30 and Mark 14 26 attest to this. It says that when they sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is where we believe that the apostles and Jesus sang this last psalm uh, before his arrest. Verse 6 also indicates that the psalmers are uh, Verse 6 of Psalm 118, uh, the psalmist had an established faith with Yahweh and he recognises the Lord's constant presence in his life. Uh, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? So the psalmist's declaration that the Lord is with him ties back to the days of Exodus um, for the Israelites uh, where they came out of Egypt and God revealed himself to Moses. So in Exodus uh, chapter 3 verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And in Hebrew, uh, this is Eya Asher Eya. In biblical uh, terms, uh, it's translated to I am who I am. But 
in biblical Hebrew um, only has two tenses. They have the, the perfect tense, which is where some action has been completed, and they have the imperfect tense, where some action may have commenced, but it's not yet completed. Um, it's ongoing, or as this psalm uh, indicates, en enduring forever. Um, in English, we tend to lose a bit in translation uh, because our tenses are, are related to time, past, present, and future. And so, I guess in translation, we've had to choose one that fits, uh, the best fit of what the words actually meant in Hebrew. Uh, but God also said to Moses uh, in verse 15 of Psalm 118, uh, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So as revealed through Moses during the Exodus, God's presence and his great love will endure forever. So in light of this, uh, you can also consider the significance of, of Matthew uh, chapter 1 verse 23 and the name that Jesus was called when he was born. Uh, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which Jesus, uh, uh, it's a reference back to Isaiah, uh, but it means God is with us. Uh, and so, sheds light that Jesus is God in human form, come to uh, guide us and be that sacrifice to us so that we might have that relationship with him. And also, John chapter 8, 58, uh, Jesus referred to himself as God. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. So it alludes back to that one verse of I am who I am. Verses 7 to 9 of this psalm then go on to reinforce the, the constant presence of God in the psalmist's journey of faith. Then in verses 10 to 13, we see the constant presence of God uh, as the Israelites in faith turn to God, they endure, endure persecution and overcome opposition. But one can also consider the last time when Jesus and the disciples sang this psalm was Jesus himself strengthened by the Holy Spirit at this time in order to do the will of his Heavenly Father and die on the cross for our sins. Did the disciples sing this psalm with more gusto and joy than previous times, knowing that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah and what was about to happen to him? Or was it something that was not yet entirely clear to him, to them until after he had risen? Remember that Peter, James and John had witnessed uh, the transfiguration of Jesus. Uh, Peter had also declared that Jesus was the Messiah and the disciples had also witnessed the miracles and listened to the teachings of Jesus. So those that put their faith in the Lord are assured that they'll find refuge in him because he's always with us and his love endures forever. And this is supported by Old Testament scriptures. Uh, in Joshua 1 verse 9, uh, so they're still coming out from Egypt to the Promised Land. 
uh, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So moving on to verses 14 to 21, uh, my interpretation of these verses, uh, they also indicate that Jesus is the Lord and salvation can only come through having a genuine faith in him. I wonder if the apostles fully recognised this as they sang on the night of the Passover or whether the words of the psalm uh, or whether they recalled the, the words of the psalm when they saw Jesus up on the cross. Now the psalm was sung many years before Jesus came into the world. Uh, it celebrates uh, God's constant presence uh, with the Israelites from the very early days to exile and the oppression in Egypt. And it suggests to us that God will be present with us through all times into the future. Verses 22 and 23 allude that God, with his enduring love, uh, it is through Jesus that God planned to provide a means of redemption and salvation. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus is the stone uh, that the builders rejected and to become the capstone of the church. Verse 26 again illustrates God's enduring love uh, in future times ahead. It points to the return of Christ and is supported by the very words that Jesus recorded in Matthew uh, 23 verse 29 where he says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus is therefore worthy of all honour, glory and praise and is declared to be God himself in verse 27. So we can see that his enduring love is celebrated in this verse. For he alone, through his sacrifice, has made us worthy before God. Through his sacrifice, we have been cleansed. And it's been made possible for us to go right up to the horns of the altar. Uh, for our sins against God are forgiven. So what Jesus has done for us all and for all people, uh, we should forever sing in praise. And for this reason, we should say hallelujah or praise the Lord. So the music team will come up now and sing our final song. Uh, song of request which relates to this psalm. I also think of this psalm that reminds me of um, the song of Miriam and Moses of when they came out of the promised land and just the enthusiasm that they uh, sing this song. Uh, you think of how Miriam just exalted the Lord with unrestrained love and joy. I recall Alison uh, singing wholeheartedly once here, uh, I think it was this song, uh, with tambourines as well and, and dancing in the aisles. And uh, I often wonder when we praise the Lord, it might be, or well, for me, my, uh, I suppose we have remnants of, of English restrained heritage. We don't do that very much, but uh, I imagine uh, when the Psalms were sung at Hallel, that that might have been just involved uh, glorifying God through singing and dancing as well. So let us sing. <laughs> 